Good evening. How is everybody? Good? I'm good. I'm good. You ready for a curveball? James 1, verse 22. 22. 22. Not 4. Not 2.2. 22. Let's just, I want to pray again. I know that was an awesome prayer, but I, I feel like we... I need to pray again, too. So if you will, just humor me a minute. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. God, we just ask that you give, uh, give me utterance so that the words I speak are the words that you would have me speak. Lord, though these folks don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. So, God, I just humble myself right now to whatever you put in this mouth to come out and to bless the people that are here and that are watching this in the future, perhaps, or on live stream. Father, we thank you. We, uh, we just ask that you help us to be doers of the word, not hearers or forgetful hearers, but Lord, doers of your word. And uh, we thank you for the promises that you give us. We know that you're faithful to watch over your word and perform it in the lives of those who believe. We stand on that promise. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. James 1.22, um, and I didn't plan on talking about this, but just take a minute and talk about this. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. It goes on to talk about like somebody who looks at their face in a mirror and walks away and forgets what they look like. Doers of the word. We spend so much time in the word, I, we try to, but we forget we're supposed to do it. And there's such a huge thing. Uh, faith without works is dead. We're going to talk a lot about faith tonight. But those two things are hand in hand. They fit like a hand in a glove. They don't work unless we move. We really don't believe it unless we act on it. Thank you, guys, for the curveball. That was good. So I'm going to start with uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 in the NASB. Read that to you. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, pause for emphasis. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a lot of stuff in that verse, a lot of stuff. And we could go in 27 different directions. I didn't write in there, pause for emphasis, by the way. I didn't write that. But fixing our eyes on Jesus so if you think about it, Hebrews 11 is right before this. And Hebrews 11 is what? So faith chapter, right? The hall of fame of faith. We hear a lot about the guys who got it right. And they're examples for us, people that we're supposed to emulate. Um, big deal. But then this, this verse, chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is coming right after that faith chapter, and it's saying we've got this great cloud of witnesses, all these people who got it right and did a good job, and we're to emulate them. But we're also supposed to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And that's pretty much the topic of what I want to talk about tonight. And really and truly, we could spend uh, Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday on this very topic. But let's go to the message version of that uh, translation of that same passage. I think it's one through three. They put their numbers in a different place. But in the message, it says, Do you see what this means? 
All these pioneers who blaze the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Wow. Very powerful. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Study what he did and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. That's a pretty interesting promise. So what's faith? These guys were good at faith. Jesus was the expert, the master at faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a definition. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay? The New Living, it says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Our lives are filled with what we see. We focus on what we see. And uh, I don't like to watch the news. Deb has got to watch the news. If the news is on, she needs to be watching it. If it's that time of day, we need to be in there watching it. She needs to be in there watching it. I don't like to watch the news because there's a lot of junk in the world. And Zig Ziglar, I enjoy reading his books. He should have been a preacher. I think he was a preacher. But Zig Ziglar... Um, said that every morning, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he said every morning he'd get up and he'd read the Bible and he'd read the newspaper because he wanted to see what both sides were up to. <laughs> and if you watch the news, it's very clear. You know, you don't get the God report, you get the devil report. The seeing or perhaps not seeing is such an important aspect of our faith. If we can see it, there ain't no sense in having faith in it. We see it. If you can see it with your eyes in the physical, faith's out the window. You don't need to have the faith. Anthony Robbins is one of my heroes. Anthony Robbins, I believe, is one of the greatest motivational speakers and helpers of our time. Uh, when the top people in the world need help, they call Anthony Robbins. Presidents, business leaders, gajillionaires. Everybody gets in a funk at times, and they, a lot of them call on Anthony because he's proven that he can come into a situation, assess a situation, change their mind, change their focus, get them to look at things a different way, and get different results. Okay? I'm going to go over with you the questions that he goes over with with these expensive people out there in the world that claim to be important, and I want you to take this with you and think about it as you go through the week. I'm going to give you the answers to the questions at the end, at least from Stephen's perspective, uh, thinking about how God would have you answer these questions. He has this technique. First question, he says, what am I going to focus on? So you got a problem. Anthony says to you, what are you going to focus on? 
Do I focus on the problem? Do I focus on the solution? Do I look at the symptoms of the problem? Do I look completely somewhere else and not think about it? Where do I put my focus? Second question, what does it mean? Am I being punished? Am I being rewarded? How does that figure into what's happening? Third question, what am I going to do? Based on the answers to question one and question two, we need to take action, right? If we sit in the same place don't do anything, well, we're not going to get any results. So what am I going to focus on? What does it mean? What am I going to do? Now, as I said, the world's a pretty rotten place. And we see a lot of stuff. We see people battered and beaten by the world every day. If you watch the news, like I talked about, you'll see a great example of it after a great example of it after a great example of it. And there's a scriptural reason why this is. Jesus refers to Satan several times in the Bible as the ruler or prince of the world or God with a little g of the world. And in Romans 10.9, we get what I like to consider the job descriptions of the devil and of God, both sides, right? We have both sides' job description. Well, I screwed up. Romans 10.9, that ain't it, is it? 9.10, maybe? Try that. I'm going to put Chris to the test. The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it in abundance. If you look in the Amplified, it says, to the full, till it overflows. Might not have the number, but I got the scripture memorized. John 10.10. What am I doing here? John 10.10. Thank you. So the devil's job description, kill, steal, destroy. God's job description is for you to have life in abundance. And if you look at what's going on with eyes of the physical, you can very easily figure out what category it goes into, what silo it goes into. And Satan has authority in the world, and we've all in this church studied that. Now, I would say that the great church as a whole has not studied that. They don't even think the devil's real, most of them. He's real. He's at work. And he's making great progress. I'm sure at their post-day meetings, when they sit around and talk about what they were you know, able to accomplish in the day, these people are getting bonuses. I mean, it's, it's rough out there. You don't hear people speaking life very often in the world and maybe not even in the church. That's what we're called to do. So Satan has this authority. He's using it to kick butt and take names. And is there any wonder that we see all the mess going on? No, there's not any wonder. So I'm going to stop right there. That's, uh, that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm not. But it's not very motivationally uh, charging, is it? And the interesting thing is we have a choice to feed into that system and be part of that system. Or we have a choice to accept the promises of God and accept the authority and the order that comes from being a child of God and understanding that we don't have to put up with the mess, we don't have to live with the mess. We can take authority, stop it, turn it around, and speak life into just about any situation. By making that choice, we essentially take the devil uh, and his manipulation out of the picture and we stop the mess. Now, right now, uh, I know there are people saying, well, wait a minute, I gave my life to the Lord a long time ago and there's still mess in my life. Well, yeah, there is. And I'm going to step on some toes, but I think we can say, based on the word, that what you see in your life 
has a correlation to the application of your faith. Now, that's not a very happy thought. It's probably a sobering thought, but there's a promise in that. That's if we change what we're doing, change the application of our faith, if we're doers and not hearers, or forgetful hearers, then things will, not could, will change. The devil's going to do everything he can to make you look at the bad stuff. He wants you to focus on the bad. He wants you to focus exclusively on the bad. You know these people that you talk to. Look, if you want to be ill and aggravated and mad and upset when you get up tomorrow, you don't have to look far. You can probably in the first two or three minutes find something to latch hold of and focus on. And you can start down that path all day long of having a rotten, terrible, no good, horrible, awful day. Almost quoted a book. I better not do that. Probably copyrighted. So, you, and, 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 you know, I, we all fall into that trap at, at times. I know I do. We don't have to, but we also have people around us that are in that trap almost perpetually. And you see, they don't want you to solve their problems. They really don't. And here's, here's the issue with that, because if I go over here, Seth, man, this awful, this terrible thing. If he solves my problem, I can't go tell Howard the same problem. He just messed me up. Because it's not about the problem, it's about attention. So now they've taken the devil's mess focused it from the problem inward. They're worried about themselves. And God, you know, he's over here somewhere. At any given moment in our lives, we're exercising our faith whether we realize it or not. At any given moment, your faith is in something. It's in that chair you're sitting in right now. Not even aware of it, but you've got faith that that chair is going to hold you up. If it doesn't, it gets embarrassing, right? You're exercising your faith in things that you don't realize. Some of you might be exercising your faith that I'm almost done. I'm not. We've got a ways to go. But in all seriousness, I want you to take a minute and truly think about what your faith is in. And as you go through the rest of the week, on a daily basis and minute by minute sometimes, where's my faith? What am I focused on? Where am I putting my faith? And in the world right now, fear seems to be, I would say, the number one weapon of the enemy for getting your eyes off Jesus and onto mess. Fear, because it motivates us. There's a power that comes with the application of that fear. Kenneth Copeland says, fear is simply faith in the power of death. Friends, we are eat up with it. Faith in the power of death. We don't have to do that. The Bible says over and over again, fear not. 2 Timothy 1.14 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Here it talked about power. We have a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we can use that sound mind to say, no, I'm not putting up with the junk. I ain't focusing on the junk. I ain't thinking about the junk. I'm going to stand on the promises of God and make a difference and see a change. But don't we have a difficult time following those directions? Fear, the number one weapon of the enemy, gets us off track, 
He takes back that power. We use our own power, give it over to him again, doing the whole Adam and Eve thing all over again daily. But we can catch ourselves and fix it, and that's what we got to do. Or maybe bad stuff comes at us first. Something bad happens, and then we cave. Let's say you're a... I'm going to get ahead of myself. Hang on. Let's go back to Anthony Robbins' question. First question. What am I going to focus on? Blanket answer at all times. What are we going to focus on? I gave you the hint in the first scripture I read to you. What are we going to focus on? Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. I know you hear it at church all the time, right? Yeah, I know. Stephen, you've got to listen. You focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. I'm serious. Get out of the rut. Focus on Jesus. Don't let the mess keep you bound up, tied to what's going on, your guts all. No. We're above all that now. He fought that battle and won. Don't cave. Question number two, what does it mean? It means it's going to turn out good. If we focus on Jesus, it's going to turn out good, guaranteed. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests us through us, excuse me, through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. It may turn out, it may not turn out exactly as you want it to. See, we get caught up in, Lord, I want something good and I want it to be exactly like this. Well, no, no. We gave our lives to Him. I feel pretty confident everybody in this room has given their lives to Jesus. They've accepted Him as Lord. And if you're like me, at times you forget that and you try to think, well, I'm going to do it my way. You've got to get yourself right and say, no, it's His way. Which means it may not turn out exactly like I want it to. I've got the idea in my mind projected. But it will turn out good. And I'll give you this. Oftentimes, it's going to turn out better than it would have if you had planned it out and executed it yourself. But see, we get caught up in the mess, you know. Third question, what am I going to do? Anthony Robbins' question, third question. What am I going to do? I'm going to act like I believe it's going to end well. I'm going to act like Jesus has already won the battle and everything's going to work out fine. Do we do that? Do we take the steps? Do we walk it out? So many times we don't. We get, I think sometimes we do remember, hey, I'm going to focus on, i got a problem, I'm going to focus on Jesus. And then we don't think about the fact that it's going to end good. And then we don't start walking out the fact that it's going to end good. Right? Eyes of faith have to step in. But when we expect that outcome to be a great outcome, then that's what faith's all about. Expecting that outcome to be a good outcome. If we really trust, really believe Him, really believe this Word that He's given us, then we know we're going to be victorious. But you see, our faith so many times gets lost on something else. And as I said this week, I just want you to check yourself. Where is my faith? Put a reminder on your phone every little bit. Where's my faith? My faith in this thing going to go off again in a little bit and aggravate me some more. Too many times I find myself expecting Satan to win. Well, I've seen this happen before. I know how this is going to turn out. Wow, I'm using my words against myself. I'm using that power. But do you do that? It's easy to do in the world. 
And I think when we think that way, we're applying our faith and we're seeing the thing happen and we're happy that we were right, but sad that it ended badly. Well, that's stupid, but we do that. You guys have heard me quote this uh, many times. Line from a movie in The Usual Suspects. This isn't scripture, but I'm telling you what, it could have got honorable mention. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world believe he didn't exist. Right? We don't, we, 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 go, we forget Zig Ziglar, we forget there's two sides. Right? We just focus on what we see, which is the one side, which is the world that we're in with eyes of, of physical eyes. We're not even aware that we're expecting bad stuff to happen. But if you were Satan, wouldn't you want your people to think that way? I mean, isn't that a great way for him to apply that stuff? Remember, he's on the other team, y'all. So I don't think it's bad to try to figure out how he thinks and figure out what he's going to do. He's been studying us for 6,000 years. Let's study him a little bit. Let's figure out what his next play is going to be, and let's beat him before he gets there. Because he's trying. I mean, that's what those folks do, killing, stealing, and destroying. That's their job. If our eyes are focused on the world all around us, we see all the junk all the mess, and we begin to expect more of the same. But if we focus on Jesus, you see, friends, if we keep our eyes on him, stuff doesn't have to work out like it always has. If we take him by the hand and we know and expect and demand that things turn out according to his promises in his word, then things can and will turn out different. But that means you've got a choice. And a lot of this depends on you. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, every one of you. Uh, Is God in control of your life. If you let him. But chances are he's not. Did he control what your choice was for breakfast this morning? Whether you had cocoa puffs or cornflakes. Did he make that decision? Now he could have. And there's some, probably some people in this church that ask him. Most places it wouldn't be that way. If you screwed up today and did something wrong, was that his fault? No, it wasn't. We have a vital part, a vital role to play in what goes on. And that's the application of that faith that I keep talking about. But, you know, the rest of the world, so much of it doesn't even think that they can do that. If you don't make a choice, that's making a choice. And it's usually the choice that you don't want to make. So think about it this week. Think about the rest of the week. Think about where your faith is. Let's say you're at the doctor and he gives you some bad news. Something you don't want to hear. What's your first reaction? Fear, maybe? That's usually what most people get to is fear. Number one weapon of the enemy, fear. (sighs) Faith in the power of death. Friends, we're God's children and His beloved and we sit in the doctor's office and we cave in like little babies. I know I've been there too. Now I had the experience with my mom and three years ago we were in the doctor's office, a little over three years ago, and the doctor came in and before he came in I looked at her and I said, whatever he says to you, do not believe it. Don't give it power. It's going to end well. 
Now, we'd been coming to church here a little while, and I had begun to hear some of this teaching, and I had begun to latch a hold of it. It's going to end well, Mom. And I, she said, well, yeah, yeah. I said, Mama, it's going to end well. He came in and said, you got cancer. Stage four. She's still here. It's been over three years. Now, I think if she'd latched on to the fact that he said, you got cancer and it's stage four, she'd be gone. I believe that with all my heart. But she didn't latch on to it. She latched on to the fact that God may have a hand in this thing. Now, I'm not saying her faith is like up there in the chap, you know, chapter 11 of Hebrews. Uh, she's probably not going to be on the list this year. Maybe next year. But she had enough faith and she applied it that, man, things turned out better. She's still with it. The symptoms are still there. They still say that she has cancer. I don't believe she has cancer. And I truly believe that it's God's will for her to be healed from whatever's in her body that's not supposed to be in her body. And if she can get that faith engine going just a little bit stronger, it'll be gone. But see, she's got a part in it. Did you hear me? She's got a part in it. And I can't do that for her. You can't do that for her. She's got to do that. She's either, as Jim Hockaday would say, got to kick it in neutral and let somebody else with some authority, you know, bust that stuff out. Or she's got to rise up in her faith to the level that she can do it. That's not a message that many people want to hear. You mean the mess I'm in is directly related to me and the choices I made and it's my responsibility? This is America. We're supposed to get free stuff. Yeah, there's responsibility. And there's not always free stuff. But in God, there's some free stuff. The thing is, you've got to move into doing it and living it and believing it and breathing it and not have another option. And then these things can begin to happen. That cancer has no right to kill her. None. Now, you know, at some point, we all going to go be with the Lord if he doesn't come back first. But that cancer doesn't have a right to take her out. If you will, let's look at Matthew 14 and start at verse 22. I want to talk about this passage and then we'll talk about a couple more things and then we'll wind up. It's going to be a short night tonight. I heard that. <laughs> so immediately he made the decision. Okay, hang on, back up. Let me give you some context. Jesus is about to walk on the Sea of Galilee. Big deal, right? Here we go. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Don't you think he was tired of looking at the mess? He was focused on God, but you know he's thinking, man, these people are so off. i got to help them. And when it was evening, he was there all alone. But the boat was already long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. We got some symptoms, right? Something to focus on. The wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I have to admit, if the master showed up right now and walked across the sea, it'd probably freak me out too. When the disciples saw him coming, 
walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. I don't expect they said it that way. I think they're probably a little more animated, but it is a ghost. (laughs) And they cried out in fear. Something you don't see, strange things happening, fear. He's got us trained good, doesn't he? The devil has got us trained so well. A plus B equals fear. I got 6,000 years. Boom, knocking it out of the park. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. God steps in and says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I can see him saying it that way. Do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, don't you love Peter? Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water, come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Now you see what God God's not a respecter of persons. If God said to you, come on the water and walk, you could have done it just like Peter did it. And I probably would have done the second part we get into here in a second too. Verse 30. Four words. But seeing the wind. What happened? In an instant. The focus went to the wrong place. Faith was in the wrong place. What happened? But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You certainly, you are certainly God's son. So easy to get into fear. I'm going to ask you something, though. When was the last time you saw wind? I'm not talking about you saw what wind did to something. I'm talking about you saw wind. You didn't. He saw something that wasn't there, applied his faith to it, and got a response. He followed the way it's supposed to work, backwards he saw something that wasn't there applied faith to it and got results exactly opposite of what he was supposed to have have applied it but you see that application isn't that neat you can see Jesus he was right in front of you right Close enough that they could talk and they could hear one another. But he took his eyes off Jesus, applied his faith to something wrong, and got almost into a mess. Now, thank goodness the Lord was there. He cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord did. Now, if we find ourselves in that situation, that's a good point to remember. (laughs) If it ain't going right and we realize that, wait a minute, I saw something that I really wasn't there, and I've applied my faith and it's not working out well, and... I'm about to get in a mess. Uh, The words are, Lord, save me. And he does. And he'll do it again and again and again because he's a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. Ad infinitum. This is a great example of what to do and what not to do. Peter was the passionate one, and you have to love him because he had such a zeal 
for things. I mean, he'd chop your ear off if you're messing with his man. But in that instant, he dropped the ball. See, the body that you are in is not you. And I know working at a funeral home, I get to see an up-close reality of that. Roger will tell you. Once you're gone, your spirit's gone, that body's just a shell. And I know you guys have heard that, but I live it. I see it daily. You are a spirit. That's the real you. That's the part that's going to be around from now on. And you're going to spend eternity in one of two places, according to the word. That spirit, that spirit has power. You have power, as Barrett said in the opening. And by applying your faith, you can take things that you can't see in the spiritual world and you can pull them into being in the physical world. You can manifest them in the physical world. Now, if you... Pull up Mark 11, 22, 23, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'll throw 24 in there too. You get the whole bunch. Chris going to be like, I ain't never run the computer next time he speaks again. <laughs> Gave a scripture, didn't use them, had the wrong ones, then throws up a bunch of stuff he didn't even plan on. <laughs> be flexible. So, so uh, this passage was the day after, uh, this part of it is talking about the day after Jesus coming in on the donkey, Palm Sunday. And he came in and he wanted some figs, went to the tree, wasn't no figs, wasn't the season for figs, didn't matter, he wanted some, they weren't there, he cursed the tree, tree withers up. He says to them, they, they say, look, Lord, the tree, look at it. It wilted from the roots up. He said, have faith in God. I'm going to rely on you to go on to the next one, Chris. I'm not going to do this one without you. All right. In these next two verses, Jesus tells you if there's something in your life you need to get rid of, how to do it. And if there's something that's not in your life that you want to see in your life, how to get it. Okay. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. That's how we apply our faith. Right? You got something in your life you don't want, you apply your faith, it gets gone. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe you have received them and they will be granted you. If you want something that's not there, this is how you apply your faith. These two verses are so powerful. We'll end it with whenever you stand praying, make sure you forgive everybody that's got something against you so the Lord will forgive you. Because guess what? You screwed up. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Great examples of how to apply our faith. Jesus said in John 14, 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. 
He made a tree shrivel up. He walked on water. The works that I do, He will also do. Will. Not might, not may, not could, can. Will do. And greater works than these will He do. Man, He got me on the first one. He didn't have to dig it in. Rub it in. Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Just like He said. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Those are not empty words. That's not idle chit-chat. Folks, that's the Master talking. If we had a red-letter Bible, that'd be red letters. That's the real deal. That's where we're headed. I know I ain't seen none of y'all walking on water, and you ain't seen me walking on water. We can. Did you get that? We can. Now, I know we just lost 90% of the people in the world, but we can. If we can apply this faith in our lives, miracles will happen. I think the first verse said, if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, it will interject, inject adrenaline into our souls. Man, I need some of that. I want some of that. As you go through the rest of the week and you face all the devil can throw at you, and after you've heard this message, I guarantee you, he's going, pow! Don't take it. Don't accept it. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to focus on Jesus. And if you focus on Him, what's, what's that mean? It means that it's going to turn out good. And what am I going to do about it? I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to expect and demand that the promises in the book are in my life. And if they're not in my life, I'm going to go back and do it again and get it right this time. Because if there's a problem in your life, did God drop the ball? No. Nobody wants to hear that. No, he didn't drop the ball. You dropped the ball. But we get to do it again. We get another chance. Another chance if we need it. Helen Howarth Limmel wrote a hymn many, many years ago. And I want to end with the first verse and the chorus of her hymn. Oh, soul. No, I'm not going to sing it. Mm -mm. I think I've done okay tonight. I'm not going to end with a... We get Barrett to come see Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. God, we just praise You with all we are. We thank You for the promises that You've given us we thank You for the opportunity that You've given us to walk out lives of faith for You so that we can glorify You and we can do Your will.
Heavenly Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, that You can help them increase their faith. Your Word says that You give to every person a measure of faith. And God, I just pray for faith and abundance for everybody that can hear this. Lord, help our faith rise up in us and help us have the courage to begin to walk that faith out like we've never done before. Lord, give us the wisdom and the courage to live the lives that You put us here to live. Father, we confess that we haven't done it perfectly. Some of us haven't done it, but very little. But Father, we're all capable because Your Word says the work that Jesus did will do and greater works. Father, we latch a hold of that promise right now and we stand together agreeing as a group of people that that is true and we want it in our lives. And Father, we agree that we're going to be doers of this word of yours and not just hearers or forgetful hearers. Father, we thank you. I pray that you be with every person here tonight and bless them in Jesus' name.